You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's to find out more about our church or to take a next step. Visit stbarts.com.au. Well, it's really nice to get the full spectrum of height difference between Todd and I. And it'd be great as we come to our fourth week in our series of Being Human that you have your Bibles open. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to be looking at both Psalm 42 and also into Matthew 9, so a bit of work this morning. There's also an outline on the back of the news with translation points in English, Dinka, Korean, and simplified Chinese, if that's of help. But right now, let's, let's pray as we come to the Lord and ask for his spirit to be at work in us. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for the extraordinary gift of emotions. Would you please be at work shaping and stirring our emotions in the very likeness of your son? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Being human involves a vast spectrum of emotions experienced across a full range of intensity. If you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs type indicator, Myers-Briggs, it's a tool that helps or maps various aspects of personality, you'll know that one of the dimensions considers how people make decisions, particularly if they're more thinking or feeling orientated. It's not, of course, that people who are more dominant in thinking don't feel, or that people who are more dominant in feeling don't think, but the way that we make decisions can often lean towards one way or the other. In our household, in the low household, uh, we were all thinkers until Theodore came along. In fact, the very first time that we sat down to watch a movie together, the movie was Madagascar, it quickly became apparent that one of the primary ways that Theodore interprets and experiences the world is through his emotions. Watching Madagascar was like an emotional roller coaster for Theodore. He laughed uncontrollably, he hid behind the couch in the scary bits, he stood up in the moments of suspense and in, in anticipation, uh, he cried at the really sweet spots as well. As this was all happening, Patrice, my wife, and our eldest Amelia and I, we just all looked at each other in bewilderment, wondering what is happening here? Even for days after the movie, Theo was really distressed when he recalled one scene when the lion was angry and he smashed up a phone booth. Emotion is part of being human. We can feel happy, sad, fearful, angry, surprised, exhilarated, disgusted, jealous and excited. The official standard for emojis, the Unicode set of standard, actually has around 74 different faces for emotion. Some people wear their emotions on their sleeve. For others, there's a lot going on under the surface. Sometimes we're emotionally exhausted. Sometimes we just don't know how to feel. Sometimes we can be emotionally distant. Sometimes we can even find ourselves recoiling and, and pulling ourselves back from the emotions of others. Sometimes we actually have all the feels all at the same time. Emotions can be good, but they can also be messy. So what does it mean 
to be emotional beings. I'd love for us to consider that in three parts today. Emotions help us make sense of ourselves and of the world. Emotions find fulfilment in God. And emotions enable us to live faithfully. So first, emotions help us to make sense of ourselves and our world. Throughout the Bible, we see the full spectrum of human emotion on display. In fact, the very first emotion that we witness a person experiencing in the Bible is joy. Joy as the man sets his eyes upon the woman and accordingly breaks into song. And so we can read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, this is the man, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. If anyone thought bursting into song or poetry is not masculine, well, you have it right here, right at the beginning. This is unadulterated joy spilling out in prose, saying, this is the one who is the same but different. Joy is the very first human emotion that we witness in the Bible. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that joy is the only valid human emotion or even that it's the pinnacle of emotions. Just consider the example of Jesus. Jesus who, in the gospel, we witness experiencing a wide gamut of emotions. Jesus felt compassion as he encountered those in need. Anguish as he prayed in the garden. Angry when he found those who were making a mockery of his father's house. Saddened when his friend died. Indignant when his disciples said and did foolish things. And joyful as he broke bread with his friends. Now, if you're really high on the thinking scale, you think I'm more of a thinker than a feeler, or if you have been hurt or just emotionally worn down, perhaps you find yourselves a little suspicious of emotions or, or just actually unwilling to go there. But emotion is part of how God made us. And it's also part of how and who God is. Uh, Jesus wasn't an emotionless robot or an AI, artificial intelligence, that can merely simulate or masquerade emotion. But Jesus truly knew and knows emotion, and it's part of how God has created us. Emotion has both a, an inward but also an interactive dimension. So inwardly, emotions, like another sense in many ways, help us make sense of ourselves and of the world. Uh, interactively, our emotions affect other people, and they can also help them make sense of us. Emotion is part of how we make sense of experience and relate to ourselves and one another. There's a reason, actually, why some organisations, when they are hiring senior leadership, that they're not just interested in someone's IQ, that is their cognitive intelligence, but that they're also interested in EQ, that is their emotional intelligence. Just consider the impact that other people's emotions, for good or for bad, have on you. Just consider the impact that your emotions, for good or for bad, have on other people. So 
For example, if you're really cranky from time to time, that might be way too distant or hypothetical for you, but just imagine you're cranky, you know, occasionally, that can spill out over and onto those around you. Or if you have a toddler in your life, a toddler who, on occasion, the joy just cannot be contained and they break into song and dance all around, well, well, that's infectious too. That doesn't mean that we have to be happy all the time or repress how we feel when we're not. But it does show us that we need to take responsibility that our emotions do affect other people. They're powerful. In fact, whilst we often think of the seat of our emotion in our heart, which is a bit weird when you think about it, but we often think our, the seat of our emotion is in our heart, emotions are actually often a, a bodily experience. So it's a bit like experiencing the world in, in high resolution, that we're immersed in it. So when we're happy, we might smile, or when we're scared, we might recoil, or sad, we cry, or amused, we laugh, or worried, we churn, or shocked, we gasp, or angry, we, we tense up. If, if you ask someone who experiences subdued emotion, which might be to, to illness or, or other reasons, well, they'll often share how debilitating that can be. That can often leave them feeling distant or, or misunderstood or, or even detached. Emotions help us make sense of ourselves and the world, but they're not always good. Our emotions are a gift, but they're also something broken. Now, worldly wisdom suggests go with your gut. Go with what feels best or go with what makes you feel good. You might be familiar with a quote by Hemingway that goes, what is moral is what you feel good after. What is immoral is what makes you feel bad after. But I'm not sure that's very good advice. Intuition and emotions have their place. But if I let every single one of my emotions run free, it would not be good for me or for the world. You know, if you dig down, and I'd say I don't have to dig very, very far, you know, would you want all of those emotions to surface? Unrestrained, unchecked emotion will find a way to expression. Do that verbally, physically, or mentally. After the first emotion of joy we witnessed in Genesis, it really doesn't take long before things are, are unraveled with the, the second emotion that humans experience being fear. Now, if you're being chased by a lion, I reckon a fear is, is fear is a very good emotion to have. But that's not what is happening here as sin enters the world. So Genesis chapter 3. But then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The Bible often talks about fear of God in terms of a proper reverence and recognition of who God is, a correct posture towards the one who's both creator and Lord. But note that the distorted type of fear that, that Adam and Eve experienced after disobeying God doesn't drive them back to God in sorrow and repentance, but instead this, this disordered fear it drives them to hide away. Instead of seeking God out, they were afraid 
and hid. Um, our emotions help us make sense of the world and of ourselves, but they also get messy. Just imagine for a moment, uh, if you went along this week with every single emotion that you had, how would that go? Sometimes we feel too much. We can actually long to be led by all of our emotions and express them just as we choose, without any sort of restraint. But we can't do that because our emotions aren't always right, in the right proportion, or at the right time. Just think about what makes you annoyed. Someone cutting you off in traffic or something, something like that, whatever it might be. Maybe there's a, a kernel in that emotion which is valid, but often it can get really spun out of perspective. Sometimes, actually, we have the opposite problem. We feel too little. Perhaps it's because we've been hurt. And so feeling the emotion of others just seems too risky. It's too risky to be vulnerable. Perhaps because we're tired, we just don't have the energy. Perhaps because we're actually apathetic. And it just feels more convenient to park other people's feelings. Now, of course, sometimes it's completely appropriate to develop, and we should, coping strategies so that we don't take on board all of people's emotions all at once. But if we systematically filter out other people's emotions, we are on the path to become dangerously indifferent. Our emotions help us make sense of ourselves and of the world, but we also must recognise the limitations. Second, emotions find fulfilment in God. So let's have a look at Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. The place where our emotions find their ultimate home, both in comfort and correction, is when we take them to God. Regularly reading the Psalms is, is one of the most comforting rhythms of my life. And, and no matter how many times or how regularly I return to them, I'm constantly struck by the invitation of God to bring our emotions, to bring how we feel to him. We can be often really poor judges of the rightness of our feelings. We can often feel like people aren't listening or simply don't understand. But that's not the case with God. How phenomenal here in Psalm 42, as the psalmist sings from exile, they are pouring out their heart to God. My soul longs for you. My tears have been my food day and night. And of course, it's not just here, but all throughout the Psalter, we read of so many examples of the psalmist pouring out their heart in really seemingly an, an unfiltered fashion. I'm really still caught off guards many times thinking, wow, can we really pray that to God? 
which, of course, the answer is yes. Not only isn't God surprised, not only does God welcome us to express it all, but as we do so, it often brings both correction and comfort. Correction because sometimes our hearts need changing. Sometimes what we feel is actually out of line. Hard hearts resolute on an ungodly path is one of the most precarious situations for any person. The Bible is full of warnings about our hearts being a harbour for things like unrighteous anger or malice and things not of God. But when we take them to God, there's opportunity for change. When we bring our feelings to God, he will help us in the power of his spirit to sift through them. Are these the right feelings at the right time? He'll stir and shape a godly response. You know, sometimes um, I go to Jesus hoping that he will help me with my circumstances, which of course he does. But so often what I discover is that it's those very circumstances that actually help me drive me to Jesus. The psalmist is in a terrible situation. They're in exile. They long to be at home, to be worshipping freely, to be free from the tyranny of their oppressors. How good it is for them to take their heartache, take that pain to God. That's what we're invited to do. Not, of course, just with sadness or sorrow, but, but anguish and anger, annoyance, and even our, our joy. So often we can be in the thick of life or pain or confusion of knowing what to do. How good it is for us to honestly bring all that we feel as quickly as we can to God. Know what happens when the psalmist actually does that. So verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. So let's be clear, the psalm is not discounting feeling downcast. It's not diminishing or deprecating the psalmist's situation or ours, but it's showing us that even amidst anguish and that terrible situation, that our sorrow can be directed not as an internal hopelessness or, or rejection of God, but in consolation and comfort that transcends the depth and pain of what we feel. In fact, I think it's a bit like when you read this toing and froing, it's a bit like the, the psalmist has trained themselves through adversity after adversity after adversity. I am so deeply disturbed my situation is objectively bad, therefore, it's the most unpredictable therefore you'd ever imagine, therefore I will put my hope in God. Therefore I will praise my Saviour, my God. Therefore I will remember you. I want to hone that reaction, that instead of a knee-jerk reaction to express my emotion, whatever it may be, that my first reaction might be run to God and express it. It really is the most wonderful invitation Weigh up. Is this right? Is this at the right time? Would it be right to express? Don't, you know, on all of our front lines, go around running social experiments to see if you should have given a voice to that emotion or not. We want to shorten that gap between when the emotion is born and when we take it to God. 
Before we give our emotion voice, we should voice it to God. And when we bring our feelings to God, not only does he help us, indeed in the power of his spirit, to correct and hone it, but he also brings correction, uh, comfort and consolation. He meets us in our, our grief, in our pain, in our suffering, and he will wipe away every tear at the end. Perhaps right now, you just feel emotionally exhausted. That actually you just can't bear to engage with the emotions of others. Perhaps you've sensed or you've noticed that you're actually a bit more irritated by people than you normally are. Or perhaps you've noticed that you're actually slowly, maybe rapidly, becoming a little indifferent to those around you. It might be because you've been hurt or you're fatigued or overwhelmed or actually all of the above. I know for me, there are absolutely times when I'm emotionally exhausted. It's often those times, actually, where I'm far more likely to inappropriately express my emotion or actually inadequately respond to the emotions of those around me. If that's you, I want to encourage you that you can even take your emotional exhaustion to God. Jesus did in the garden, and he even did it from the cross. Marva Dawn puts it like this, an overwhelming need in our times is the need for emotional rest. So very often we are too emotionally drained to be able to cope with what is happening to us or because of us. The rush of time, the pace of change, the frenzy of demands upon us all leave us exhausted. When we go to God with our emotions, he deals them by meeting us with himself. He'll bring comfort amidst sadness. He'll even bring perspective amidst joy. He won't criticise us for our doubts and our fears, but graciously meets us and loves us. He'll graciously meet you with his love. Our emotions help us make sense, find fulfilment in God, and finally, our emotions enable us to live faithfully. So, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Time and time again throughout the Gospels, we see the same pattern as Jesus encountered people. He saw, he felt, and he acted. Is that time and time again, he saw, he felt, he acted. His eyes were open to see the needs of those around him. His heart was open to let those needs take a grip. And he was moved to act in response to what he saw. He saw, he felt, he acted. There was so much need. Jesus could have ignored it all. There was so much pain. 
Jesus could have just pushed it to the side. But that's not what he did, and it's in his likeness we are to follow. Now, of course, we're not Jesus. We can't, of course, respond exactly the same way as him. We have to actually test our emotions. We can't always rely that they're, they're right. But that doesn't give us permission to just emotionally check out. Perhaps on one or more of your front lines right now, there is just so much need. There is immense need. And perhaps you're really tempted to try and tune out from that need. Perhaps you've actually developed really effective mechanisms to, chew out, to tune out from that need. That it just seems safer and simpler or even more sustainable. But I want to suggest that we've got to find ways to feel the needs of others because Jesus simply didn't give us the option to emotionally check out. We've also got to find ways to be emotionally open and vulnerable with others too. Growing up, we were always taught that whenever asked, how are you, we should respond, well, thank you. I've had to try and learn how can I be open and vulnerable without totally overloading the person, of course, but still be open and vulnerable with them as well. When Jesus sees the crowd, we read that he had compassion. In the original language, the word used for compassion here is actually connected to the word for the internal organs, so the guts. And so really, quite literally, the word form is saying that Jesus had a gut-wrenching compassion. Jesus is moved with a gut-wrenching compassion here because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Elsewhere, we read that Jesus has a gut-wrenching compassion in response to those who encounters who are blind, hungry, and sick. And each and every time, Jesus is not only willing to see their need and feel their need, but also act. So often, the missing connection between our willingness to act in response to the need is not always not knowing what to do or because there's nothing that we can do, but because we remain unmoved. We're not willing or we're too scared to lower those shields from our hearts. And what's even more stunning or perhaps even more convicting is that as Jesus sees and feels his, this need, the way that he's compelled to act is that they would pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers. And what happens in the very next cha chapter, chapter 10? The Lord sends them out. Now, of course, we're not sent out precisely in the same way as the disciples, but we go by the same authority with which they were sent and with the same power which they gave them. We need not push emotion away, nor let emotions have free reign, but we can ask God to stir and shape the emotions within, especially in response to what we see, asking for the wisdom and the gifts in knowing how to respond. This week, wherever God has placed you, and all of those front lines, there's an invitation that we might see, feel, and act. Yep, our, our emotions can be really messy. Yes, as we go to him, he'll bring both comfort and correction. But God has also created us with emotion, helping us to relate to one another and our world, 
in order that we might live faithfully as part of his purposes. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for the full spectrum of emotions with which you have endowed us. Lord, we thank you that the emotions you've given us really do help us to better understand ourselves and make sense of the world and those around as well. Lord, we are so sorry for when those emotions are out of line, when we give voice to those emotions in an unrestrained way, in a way that sometimes doesn't only harm ourselves or others, but also dishonours you. Lord, we pray that you would help us in the power of your spirit to really shorten that gap between our emotion and also running to you. Lord, we pray, please, would you stir and shape our emotions within? Would you please bring both comfort and correction? Lord, please help us in the power of your spirit that we might see, feel, and act. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.